You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. Well, good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? We're on week three right now of our series, I Am, where we are looking at the seven I Am statements of Jesus. But before we move on to next week or this week, I want to I wanna just take a moment and celebrate, thank you, sir, celebrate what God did last week in our midst. Um, I was sitting in my office at Panera Bread on Monday morning and just weeping, embarrassingly, in the middle of the restaurant because of what God did last week. Uh, We got to celebrate 17 baptisms. And yeah, that's worth clapping for. And 10 of those were unexpected. They were decisions made uh, that morning. And we got requests for doing another service. Literally, we were hearing stories of people watching the live stream who said, I was this close to getting into my car and driving in to come get baptized. When's your next baptism service? And we saw people get saved last week. I mean, it was just absolutely incredible. Um, And so what I want to do is I just want to sit for a moment and not move on from that too quickly. I want to just go to the Father and just thank him for what he's done, for what he's doing, and uh, just adore him for who he is. And so can we go to him in prayer just for a moment here? God, thank you. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your nearness. God, thank you for the way that you moved last week in our church. Thank you for the way that you're continuing to move. God, thank you for what you will do. Lord, as we're in this Lent season right now, just posturing our hearts and our minds towards the cross and ultimately the resurrection, we are in utter awe of who you are. There are moments this past week where, God, I just felt utterly inadequate and utterly speechless at what you did. I think that's exactly the place that we're called to be. Just in awe of who you are, what you do. God, I thank you for each and every person that made the decision to get baptized last week. God, I thank you for what you started in their lives. Baptism isn't a finish line, it's a starting point. And so God, thank you for what you started in so many lives last week. And God, we just want more of it. We crave more of you, more of your presence, more of an awareness of how you're moving and what you're doing in this community, God. We are here for it, we are hungry for it, and we want more of it. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, A few weeks ago, I was walking through Tanger Outlets and kind of looking at all of the different storefronts that were there, and one storefront caught my eye. Because on the, on the windows of the store were these massive red signs that said, entire store, 50% off. Or all items on sale or discounted. Like just every window of the store had some kind of different sign about how everything was 50% off. And then I noticed a little white speck at the bottom of this big red sign. 
And it looked like a piece of dust at first, but then I moved in closer. And as I moved in closer, I noticed this little white speck was two little words that I couldn't quite read. So I got closer and closer and closer until finally with a magnifying glass, I could read the two little words on the bottom of the sign that changed everything about what the sign meant. And the two words were this, exclusions apply, everything on sale, all-inclusive sale, but exclusions apply. You see, the highest virtue in our culture right now is this idea of inclusiveness, all-inclusive. Everybody's welcomed, right? I mean, what does the sign on the outside of our church say? Everyone is welcome, right? But to be honest, the the church is not the only one making the claim of inclusiveness. Businesses right now are investing millions of dollars into inclusivity training and all of those things. You think about even the way that cultural language is shifting right now, it is a shift towards becoming more inclusive, whether it's the pronouns you use or the way you wish a happy holiday to somebody, right? Like I I wrote this down, happy, all-inclusive, non-religious, inoffensive winter holiday, (laughs) right? And I have no desire today to wade into like culture war issues from the stage, but what I do want to observe to you for just a moment is that every single movement, every single business, every single friend group, I don't care who you are, as inclusive as they may appear, they all have this asterisk at the bottom of their signs. Exclusions apply. If you don't use the right language or behave the right way, exclusions apply. If you don't virtue signal or talk the right way, exclusions apply. If you don't vote the right way, exclusions apply. Every single movement, I don't care what it is, has this asterisk at the bottom of it. Exclusions apply. And a question worth considering for the church, especially a church that has a sign on the front that says everyone is welcome, is this. Is Jesus inclusive or is Jesus exclusive? Is Jesus inclusive or exclusive? The answer to that question is yes. Yes. You see, in Jesus' own words, he says things like, whosoever would come after me, right? Broad net, whosoever. Jesus is inclusive, but then the next thing he says is, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is incredibly exclusive at the same time. He himself said, narrow is the gate that leads to life, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Anyone can enter, in other words, anyone, but not all will choose to. And as we process through this question, is Jesus inclusive or exclusive, I want to take a moment to make it even more personal. Because I think the question we ask for our lives is is this, is, is Jesus inclusive of me? Am I part of Jesus' family? I have had conversations in our church with people who have been Christians for longer than I've been alive who are wrestling with this question right here. Is Jesus inclusive of me? And if we're honest with ourselves, every single one of us could come up with a list of why Jesus could or should exclude us from his family. If you don't have that list, you're probably not human. I have that list of all of the different reasons why Jesus could and probably should exclude me from 
his family. And some of us know what it feels like to be excluded. Some of us, we grew up in a home where we were overlooked and utterly unseen as a child. Others of us, we've always felt different from the settings that we're in, right? I'm not one of them. I'm separate from the crowd. I am the, the crazy one, the misfit, the rebel, the troublemaker. I see some troublemakers in here. I know who you are. I'm just kidding. No, not really. But maybe you grew up in a home where you could never live up to your parents' religious expectations and the stringent expectations they put on you. You never felt like you were good enough. You always felt excluded. Maybe there's been a whisper in your ear, even here in a church today, you're not welcome there. You don't belong. You're not invited. And so when we talk about this idea of whether Jesus is inclusive or exclusive, it's not just an abstract concept for you. It is deeply, deeply personal. And you wonder often, does Jesus include me in his family? Today is, is really a part two of where we went last week. And last week we talked about Jesus as the good shepherd. And today is part two in the sense that Jesus' statement today actually shows us who he includes and who he also excludes from his family. It's a really, really important statement to understand how Jesus builds his family. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 10. Verse 7, John chapter 10, verse 7. And if you remember from last week, this is the same chapter that we were in last week when we talked about Jesus being the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 7 says this. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Some translations say gate. I'll use those terms interchangeably, door or gate. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. And then one of the most famous lines of Jesus, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus is in the process right now of calling himself the good shepherd. In fact, right before these verses, he calls himself the good shepherd. And right after these verses, he calls himself the good shepherd. So it's kind of a weird statement if you're removed from Jesus' culture to hear him all of a sudden say, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the door, I'm the good shepherd. It feels kind of random unless you're living in Jesus' world and you kind of know what Jesus is talking about here. You see, back in Jesus' day, when he talks about himself being a shepherd or he talks about this idea of a sheepfold or a sheep pen, this is the picture that would have been running through his listeners' eyes, if you want to put that up there, Dylan. Perfect. Uh, so sheepfolds in Jesus' day were kind of like these brick or stone structures, almost built up like a room without a roof. And so this was done so that predators, thieves, robbers couldn't see the sheep inside the sheep pen. It was done as an act of protection. They didn't build sheep pens with wire and wood and things like that. They built them with stones. And you'll notice in the midst of that red circle there is an opening. It's a, it's a gate. It's a door. Now, most of these sheep pens didn't have a physical door that blocked off the sheep from predators and enemies and thieves and robbers. And so what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would lay himself in the midst of this opening as the gate or as the door to protect the sheep, to keep those who would cause harm to the sheep out. 
And so what Jesus is doing here is he's painting a picture of exclusivity, if you will. He's basically saying, I'm the only way in and the only way out of the sheepfold. Thieves and robbers would attempt to bring their ladders and climb in, but I am, I am the gate. If, if the thieves and robbers want to get to the sheep, they, in other words, have to go through the door, through the gate, through the shepherd who protects the sheep. Now, what would provoke Jesus to make a claim of exclusivity like this? What would cause Jesus to make a statement like this? Because he's not just saying these things in a vacuum. He's not just randomly going and saying random stuff. He's actually responding to different situations and different things. And what happened right before this, before Jesus makes the statement, I am the gate, is he had just healed a guy who had been blind since birth. And this guy who's unnamed in in John 9 here, this guy who had been blind since birth had been ostracized and excluded in every possible way from every chance of ever possibly knowing God. Completely excluded. Excluded by the religious system, excluded from worshiping, excluded from celebrating the holiday festivals. I mean, just imagine the, the type of exclusion that this guy would have experienced. In fact, most people that would have looked at this guy, most Jewish people would have seen this guy blind since birth and would have assumed that there was some grave sin in his family, in his parents, or even in him that would have caused such a curse on his life like blindness. And what does Jesus do? He enters in and he heals this guy. And it causes wonder in this guy's village, but it causes uproar with the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Uproar to the point where the Pharisees go to this blind guy and they say this to him after he had been healed. They say, you were born in utter sin and you would tell us things about God? And it says they cast him out from among them. And then the very next verse is Jesus going to find this blind guy. And he saves him, and he restores his life, and then Jesus turns to the Pharisees around him and has this conversation right here. In fact, if you read John 10, verse 1, it says this, Jesus saying to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, to you Pharisees, you religious leaders, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door or the gate but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Does anybody else love mic drop Jesus? Are you just like, Jesus out, right? Like, just makes these profound statements. And why this would be so profound for these Pharisees to hear is that the Pharisees are incredibly divided and they are in an uproar over Jesus for two reasons. Number one, they're completely offended by how inclusive Jesus is. You would include this blind guy in your family? You would call this blind guy part of your flock? You would welcome him in? Are you kidding me, Jesus? They are offended at how inclusive he is. But on the flip side, these same religious people are also offended at how exclusive Jesus is. Because not only does he welcome in those who have been cast out or ostracized or set to the side, he also says he alone is the only way in for those people. And by the way, including the Pharisees as well, he is the only way in. So let me just tell you this, Jesus' inclusivity and his exclusivity has always offended people. It's always rubbed people the wrong way, especially 
the type of people that Jesus labels thieves and robbers. This is the Greek word lestus. It's a word he used quite often in his ministry, and the only people he ever really directed it at were Pharisees, religious leaders, those who would stand in the way of others knowing God. When Jesus goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple and turns over tables and he is infuriated at the religious system that would exclude people from knowing God, he says this, my father's house was to be a house of prayer for all nations and yet you have turned it into a den of thieves, lestus, robbers. That's what you do. You are a thief and a robber when you get in the way of people knowing God. This is a strong warning for people who think that they can bring their ladders and climb their way into God's good graces through all of their behavior modification and virtue signaling and learning just the right language and being constantly worried if if they're in or out. Jesus says the thief does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs his way in. In fact, what would have happened a lot for thieves and robbers is is they would bring their ladders to the sheepfold and they would climb in dressed up as the shepherd, as a shepherd impersonator, hoping that through scent and through dress that they could trick the sheep into stealing them and taking them away. And the sheep who know their shepherd's voice knew immediately it was a counterfeit. And what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, Pharisees, you may claim you are the way to God. You may look on the outside like the real thing, but you are nothing but a shepherd imitating thief and robber. You're standing in the way of people knowing God. So what is stark warning to the Pharisees is actually an invitation of life to those who are blind, to those who have been cast out, to those who have ever wondered, am I good enough? The answer to that is a resounding no, you're not. And that's the point, because the only way into this sheepfold is the gate, who is the person of Jesus. Everyone else who sneaks in any other way is a thief and a robber. But the shepherd, the gate, is protection and life for the sheep in his care. He is protection for the desperate and the weary. About a year ago, I had a chance to lead a team uh, to Guatemala on uh, a missions trip with one of our partners. And uh, while we were there, there was, uh, there was a specific place that we went that has really stuck with me. And I brought a picture of it here. It's called the, the Street of Hope. And if you can't tell from the picture, it's kind of a neighborhood, if you will. So there's a lot of families that live on the street, young kids. And, and this is called the Street of Hope today, but, but this street wasn't always a place of life and light. In fact, for decades, this street was the meeting place of two of the most violent gangs in Guatemala City. And these two gangs would come together and they'd drive through at high speeds on their cars and they'd shoot and so much death and bloodshed happened on this street. So much so that like families were, were desperate for a solution. I mean, Kids and families getting ripped apart on this very street, stained with blood. And what happened is the church on this street, a house church, in fact, if you look on the left side of the picture, it's like the orange, that's where the house church is located. But the house church on this street ended up stepping in 
and they stopped the gang violence. How? They built a gate. They built a door. In fact, you can see it if you look closely in the middle of that picture there. They built a door and a gate and gave the neighborhood members a key. You see, all-inclusive, everyone is welcome, doesn't exactly scream life when your street is being ravaged by gang violence. It was the gate that protected the community, that led the community to flourishing and life because some kinds of life can only be found in exclusivity. If you come to Jesus thinking that you, he is one among many different options, if we are so puffed up with our own privilege and our own pride to the point where even coming to Jesus, he is just one among many equal options in our life, we are, in Jesus' own words, the role of thief and robber. See, friends, it is the desperate. It is the ones who have come to the end of themselves. The ones who say, I have no other option. I'm not going to try to earn my way into this family. I'm not going to try to impersonate my way in or sneak my way in. I'm not going to try to imitate you know, the shepherd and be a cheap knockoff in that sense to get in. No, I am going to enter through the gate because the gate is life. See, when Jesus is making this statement, when he is speaking to these religious leaders, these Pharisees, what many scholars believe is that he's actually pointing them back to an Old Testament passage all about what shepherd imitators and these kind of thieves and robbers actually do. He's pointing them back to Ezekiel 34. And so as these Pharisees hear Jesus say these statements, I guarantee you what would have been ringing in their ears, what would have come to top of mind for them was this passage in Ezekiel 34 where the prophet Ezekiel prophesies against these fake shepherd imitator thieves. And this is what he says. He says, son of man, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, which you know something good is coming after any time you hear, thus says the Lord. Now listen, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they, they the sheep, were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Ezekiel 34 gives us a clearer picture of what these shepherd-imitating, thieving robbers actually look like. And I'll just say this, as a pastor, my ears perk up when I hear passages like this. I mean, just think about this verse here, even this one verse in Ezekiel 34, read over the church. I mean, I don't want Jesus to look at New Life Church and say, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. 
You see, the very people that Jesus would make this statement over are the ones who come in God's name, but actually just seek to serve themselves and bring their ladders and sneak in and out of the sheepfold and don't actually choose to enter through the gate. And so how do I know if Jesus includes me in his family? has everything to do with how you attempt to enter through the sheepfold. There is a reason why religious fundamentalism has hurt and is failing so many people in the name of God. Holiness just becomes another ladder to climb, not a gate to enter. I think about even just like what's going on with the Duggar family right now. Right? I mean, for so many years, even like my growing up years, they were viewed as a picture of moral perfection and moral like goodness. And yet behind the scenes, the weakest and most vulnerable among them were being preyed upon. Right? This is the picture of what it looks like when we, when we try to enter the sheepfold another way. Or, or what about this? There's a reason why progressive secularism is failing so many. It's making a generation more angry, more depressed, and more short-fused because it requires you to get your act together, to behave a certain way, to use the right language, to virtue signal the right way. It's an effort to self-define and re-self-define to get my personal identity and autonomy just right while not measuring up to anyone else. It is a... It is a failing ideology. I love how Tim Keller says this when he describes kind of this idea of the sheepfold. He says this, Jesus does not divide the world into the moral good guys and the immoral bad guys. He shows us that everyone is dedicated to a project of self-salvation, to using God and others in order to get power and control for ourselves. We're just going about it in different ways. The gospel is distinct. In its view, everyone is wrong, everyone is loved, and everyone is called to recognize this and change. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ is radically, radically inclusive. Everyone is wrong, (laughs) right? Everyone is loved. And yet everyone is invited to enter the gate and be transformed. Church, for those who have no ability to climb the social ladder or who feel like they have no other options, for those who will never be able to play the religious part or get their act together on their own, Jesus is saying to them, to you, I am the gate to life. And the only people who are in my family are the ones who come to the end of themselves and recognize I am the only way in. Anyone can come in. Apart from me, we are blind, poor, pitiful, wretched, and naked. And yet some kinds of life can only be found in exclusivity. Jesus' exclusivity is incredibly inclusive. Anyone can come in and follow me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you come from or what your pedigree is or what your socioeconomic status is or what your level of education is. Anyone can come in. There is no institution on the planet that is that inclusive. But at the same time, there is but one way in. And his name is Jesus. And he is the gate. And those who would endeavor to follow him, 
are the ones who come to the end of themselves and understand there is no other option for abundant life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. And when you understand this, holiness for you is no longer just a self-improvement project that you have to kind of get yourself together and behave the right way in the name of holiness so that you can present yourself blameless before God. Holiness is not something we achieve in our lives for God. It's something he achieves in us when his Holy Spirit indwells us. That's what happens when we enter the gate. For so many of us, we want a version of Jesus that just affirms us all day long and doesn't actually transform us. And I tell you, if, if your version of Jesus only affirms you and affirms you and affirms you, it can look like the real thing, but at the end of the day, it is a counterfeit because at the end of the day, you are still a slave to the opinions and the approval of other people to the point where somebody even says the wrong thing to you and your identity crumbles. Jesus is the gate. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus has come that we may have life and life abundantly. And so how do we experience this abundant life? How do we experience this life that Jesus promises, that Jesus offers? Well, if we go back to Ezekiel 34, there's a prophetic word about the person of Jesus that actually shows us how we experience this abundant life. And this, this passage in Ezekiel has just astounded me this last week as I've been praying through it and processing through it. The promises of God for his people are astounding. And I just want to read this over you in verse 11 of the same chapter. For thus says the Lord, there we go, it's there again. Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. In other words, all of those thieving, robbing, shepherd imitators, they're not the real thing. I will seek my sheep out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them. From all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. See, friends, this is the promise of Jesus over his people, that as the good shepherd, as the gate, he seeks out his sheep, sheep that are wandering and helpless and scattered among the hills because they have not had good shepherds to lead them, desperately need a gate of protection and refuge from the person of Jesus. I think about some of the stories that we celebrated last week in baptism. There was a, a mom who got baptized here last week this morning. And because her son got to witness her getting baptized, her and her husband were able to lead their son to Jesus that later that night. Because Jesus is the gate, he will be the shepherd himself of his sheep. 
I think about another family that was here last week. And uh, about three years ago, their house had burnt down. And we felt compelled and convicted as a church to just raise some funds for them to help them get back on their feet three years ago. So we raised, I think, like $1,600. And they had no affiliation with our church, but we just gave them the check and said, here, like, this is to help stabilize you until insurance money kicks in. And I hadn't heard from them for about two years or so. And about eight months ago, that family started attending our church. And God has so radically transformed the dynamic of their family that even last week, the mom and the daughter made the decision to get baptized. Jesus says, I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I think about the woman who got baptized last week, who for her entire life had been resisting God, resisting faith, and last week she made a decision to trust in Jesus. And what you may not know about that story is that story has been saturated and bathed in prayer for years for people in our church praying over this woman and praying for her to come find Jesus. And last week she did. This is what the good shepherd does. I will seek the lost and bring the strayed. I will bind up the injured. This is who he is. It's blind guys and people who've lost everything in a house fire. It's moms and dads doing the best they can despite their imperfections who are entering through the gate. The question is, is it you? Does Jesus include you? Does Jesus include me? How you answer that question is entirely up to you. It's not anyone else's question to answer for your life. It's not your parents' question to answer for you. It's not your pastor's question to answer for you. It is your question, does Jesus include me? And it's certainly not the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy who can answer that question. It's yours. See, when Jesus was talking about this with, his, with the Pharisees, he wasn't just pointing back to Ezekiel. He was pointing forward to what would come in his life. If the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I want to bring you to Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, where he is praying and he is pouring himself out before his father and he is saying, take this cup from me, not my will, but your will be done. And then in the middle of the night, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, along with the Roman guards, come to Gethsemane and they arrest him. And what does Jesus do? He appeals once again to this thieves and robbers language. And he says, would you come at me in the middle of the night with weapons as if I'm the thief and the robber, as if I'm leading the rebellion? And Jesus is arrested by these religious thieves and robbers. And he's brought into a mock trial. And in one of the greatest miscarriages of justice, one of the greatest injustices, he is placed side by side next to a literal thief, robber, insurrectionist named Barabbas. And when given the choice between freeing Jesus or freeing this thief and this robber, who does the crowd demand led by these religious leaders? Give us Barabbas. Free Barabbas. And what do you want done with Jesus? Crucify him. Kill him. Sacrifice him. Throw him to the execution of the Romans. So then Jesus carries his own cross up to a place named Calvary. And there he is hung on a cross in between thieves and robbers once again. 
And there in the greatest act of love in human history, he lays down his life for you and for you and for me. And all of a sudden now, when I, when I see what Jesus is saying in light of the cross, I see his invitation of being the gate differently. Because these thieves and these robbers, they came to steal Jesus. They killed Jesus and they sought to destroy Jesus. But Jesus came so that we may have life and have it abundantly. You want to know what the gate is? It is Jesus hanging on the cross. It is our only hope. It is the only way our lives are restored and made right. It is the only way to salvation. It is the only way to know God that when we come before him and we say, I can't sneak in and out of the sheepfold by my good behavior or my bad behavior, and we repent of both at this cross and we lay it down and we say, Jesus, you are my only hope. You are the only chance that I have at life. That, my friends, is where real life and real healing begins. That's where restoration happens. That's where the sheep who have been scattered by every false voice and every thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy, that is where the sheep find their home. That's it. And so is Jesus inclusive of me? Your answer to that question has everything to do with what this cross that he gave his life on means to you. Have you repented of your sins? So Jesus, I am laying these down. I'm giving these up. You're my only hope at life. Have you repented of your good behavior that you've done with wrong motives? Saying, Jesus, I don't need to impress you because I, I can't. I'm so deeply loved by you that I am, I am accepted and I am loved as I lay my life down before you you done that? Have you made that decision in your life? As we enter into an extended time of worship, I want to invite us to process through this question. Is Jesus inclusive of me? Well, have I come and entered through the gate? Let me pray and then Trent is going to lead us from here. Jesus, we thank you are the gate through which the sheep enter and exit and find pasture and find life and find healing and find safety and find refuge. Jesus, we thank you that you are protection for the weary, hope for the hopeless, life for those who have come to the end of themselves. For those who think they have it all together or they have other options, you're just just another option among many, but Lord, we want to be the type of people who are desperate for you, who believe that you are the exclusive, exclusive way to experience abundant life. And so Father, I know even in this room, even watching online, there are people who have believed the lies of the thief and so much has been stolen from them. Some even in the name of religion I know others here whose spirits have been killed. 
or who the enemy and the thief have come against to destroy. And Father, I pray that in our act of surrender here this morning, in our act of laying our lives down, in our act of entering through the gate that leads to life, that we will begin to experience release and freedom because you are the gate and you came for abundant life. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray.